you find yourself needing to learn more about D&D. What do you do? I cast Pond! Welcome to I Cast Pod, a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Mike, your host, DM, and guide to all things Dungeon-esque and Dragony. In our first episode, I'm going to be talking about what D&D is and how to get started playing. We'll cover D&D basics, game etiquette, the three aspects of play, exploration, role-playing and combat, character creation, hits, crits and more. So, if you've just dipped your toe into the deep, deep waters of D&D, perhaps by watching or listening to Critical Role, Adventure Zone, Acquisitions Incorporated or any of a number of live play streams or podcasts, or seen it on TV shows such as Community, Stranger Things or Rick and Morty, the latter two of which actually have official D&D modules available now to play, and thought D&D looks like fun. Or maybe you played a little in your youth and want to get back into it. Or maybe you've just always been D&D curious, but never had the chance to get involved. Then this episode is for you. But before we go any further, I figured I'd tell you a little bit about myself. In relation to D&D though, so don't worry, this won't be my entire backstory. I currently act as a DM for a local group in my city that runs out of a cafe after hours. I have both played and DM'd in the past, but I'm no D&D expert. I have no degrees in law. My main playtime has been with 5th edition, which is the most recent version. I do have a recollection of playing, I think, 4th edition a long time ago. But my passion for the game has developed much more recently. In fact, part of the reason for starting this podcast was to help me learn more about the game and become a better DM for my group, and also a better player in general. So with that said, let's learn together. But before we get into the show proper, let's hear some D&D news. News. Video games. Baldur's Gate 3 is being developed by Larian Studios, the people behind Divinity Original Sin 2. Considering that game is considered to be one of the most D&D-like experiences in a video game, this could be a great addition to the already popular series. Dark Alliance A reboot of the PS2 slash Xbox slash GameCube game will be a four-player co-op action RPG game featuring characters from R.A. Salvatore's Icewind Dale trilogy, including Driz de Werden. I, for one, am excited at the prospect. In fact, up to eight D&D video games are rumoured to be in production currently, all of which will feature single-player campaigns of some sort, as well as co-op play. Comics. For Critical Role fans, 2020 is going to be a good year. The Chronicles of Exandria is released on March 31st, and Vox Machina Origins Volume 2 is released May 28th. Books. In addition to those, Matt Mercer's official collaboration with Wizards of the Coast, The Explorer's Guide to Wildemount, releases on March 17th. March. The latest Dyson Miscellany set is looking very cool, and is based around Lariel Silverhand, Archmage of Waterdeep. It features blue dice, a double-sided map of the Sword Coast and the city of Waterdeep, and 20 illustrated cards featuring Lariel's insights on key characters, locations and lore, from across the Forgotten Realms. Lariel Silverhand's Explorer's Kit releases on March 17th too. 
might want to start saving some money for March. Movies. There's also a D&D movie in the works. Considering the last major release was widely considered to be a pretty terrible movie, expectations should be low, hopefully paving the way for the team to knock it out of the park. Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly were listed as writers in the recent tweet from Goldstein's Twitter account. Goldstein and Daly have Spider-Man Homecoming, Horrible Bosses and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 among their writing credits and described it as a Guardians of the Galaxy tone movie in a Tolkien-like universe. Hopefully that's just to appeal to people who aren't necessarily into D&D to give them a, a hook to kind of hold on to. Anyway, fingers are crossed. What is D&D? D&D is currently hugely popular, mostly due to the internet, particularly YouTubers, podcasters and live streamers, putting content online in ways never before possible and enabling more people to get involved with the game. What was once the preserve of just a handful of people around a table or the occasional small convention, D&D is now a legitimate entertainment phenomenon. But what is it? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. First, what do you think the definition of a game is? This was a question I was asked at college I studied computer science, but the course was geared towards video game development, hence the question. The answer, it turned out, could be boiled down to the phrase, a series of interesting choices. Second, what do you think of when I say the word storytelling? Maybe you think of books, films or graphic novels. Or perhaps you think of daring adventurers returning from expeditions with tales of daring do. Or Greek plays brought to life by actors playing the roles of valiant heroes, fickle gods, and terrifying monsters. D&D is in some ways the summation of all these things. It is, at its essence, a collaborative, improvised storytelling adventure, set in a fantasy realm filled with the aforementioned heroes, gods, and monsters. Daring adventurers! misfortunes, mayhem, magic, and more. What's so great about it is you either get to be one of the heroes, or maybe, if you're up for more of a challenge, you get to be something like a god. The DM. D&D Basics. In D&D, the players each take on the role of an adventurer, and the DM acts as both guide to the world at large, as well as a kind of referee. The players tell the DM what they want to do in any given situation, and the DM, alongside certain dice rolls, decide whether the character succeeds or fails. The dice are there to add an element of chance, otherwise there would be no stakes at all and everyone would automatically succeed at everything. While that sounds great, it would make for a very boring adventure, because drama comes from conflict. Conflict doesn't necessarily mean combat, by the way. It just means that there are forces that oppose what you want to do. Be it gravity, or an ageless lich, hell-bent on revenge for the time your party mooned him from the side of a flying carpet. Or it could just be the risk of the consequences of failure. 
I always say to my players, never ask me if you can do something. Tell me what you want to do and we'll figure out if it's possible. Bear in mind that even though game worlds generally run on something like real-world physics, magic is generally part of most, if not all, settings and can often circumvent or even negate physics in lots of interesting ways. And even if you don't have a particular spell that can make you, say, levitate, in order to grasp some elusive, high-up treasure... Maybe someone else in your party does have one and can cast it on you, or even on the chest to dislodge it. D&D is the ultimate sandbox adventure game, where you really are only limited by your imaginations. Well, that and the dice. In an ideal game, the party all works together towards some common goal, and the DM facilitates the adventure. Three aspects of play. D&D adventures have three main components. Exploration, role-playing, and combat. Some games can involve more of one than the other parts. For your first campaign, try to get your DM to run a balanced adventure so that everyone can figure out what they enjoy the most, but get to play all aspects. As a note, Generally, games start with the party in a relatively safe spot, such as a village or a tavern in a town or city, but could start with the party in prison or in the midst of a surprise attack. It all depends on your DM and what type of game they want to run. Exploration Exploration involves not only finding out where you are, either through theatre-of-the-mind-style descriptions from the DM or from uncovering portions of a map or both, but it might also involve things like checking for traps, searching for clues to your goal, checking for hidden monsters, and other unknown dangers. In D&D, your party are rarely out of peril for long. Most often, your DM will ask you for a perception check if you say that you are specifically searching, to see what you find. We'll cover ability checks later. But for now, just know that you will need to roll a d20 and tell your DM what score you got, including any relevant modifiers. Your DM will then tell you what you perceive or discover, if anything. Role-playing Role takes a few forms. In most cases, players describe what their characters are doing to the DM and party in the first person. I walk slowly down the corridor. Checking the walls, floor and ceiling carefully as I go for traps or signs of anything unusual. A one. Speaking in first person helps with immersion and getting into character, although some people prefer to speak in the third person. Darla vaults the crumbling wall and dashes to the aid of her friends. Generally, in my experience, first person is better but the DM should at the very least make sure everyone in the party is going to be doing either first or third person. Otherwise it can feel a bit odd if only one or two of the party speaks in third person, but check with your DM if you're unsure. Role-playing doesn't mean you have to put on a voice or act out scenes, but if you feel capable of doing either, go for it. Another time role-playing happens is when talking to NPCs or non-player characters. These are any characters that show up in the story 
who are embodied by the DM. It could be a friendly tavern owner or a bold shopkeeper. It could be an evil villain or a possible opponent. Make use of your notebooks to write down the names of NPCs as you come across them and any relevant information either about them or that the party learns while talking to them. You never know when it might come in handy later. It's also useful to keep notes about the campaign in general. Some groups nominate a scribe, other groups just have everyone taking their own notes. Also, I said possible opponent because part of the beauty of D&D is that sometimes you don't have to fight certain creatures or beings. Sometimes you can talk your way out of a situation. Maybe changing your opponent's mind altogether and getting them to fight for your cause. Or you could try bartering, bribing, blackmailing, or even seducing your way out. The possibilities are literally only limited by the imaginations of the party, which is a major part of the attraction of the game. The main part of role-playing, though, is playing the game as you imagine your character would, based on your character's stats, alignment, and background. More on these later, and using only the knowledge your character would have within the setting. Combat. In D&D, combat is turn-based, and one turn simulates six seconds at a time. There's often a joke made that in D&D, a 12-hour march can take seconds in real time, whereas a five-minute skirmish can take three hours. Combat most often happens when the players encounter monsters, a general collective term for all antagonistic creatures and beings in the game. You'll know when combat is beginning because the DM will ask everyone to roll for initiative. Everyone will roll a d20 and add any relevant bonuses and tell the DM. Initiative is simply the order that the players and monsters will take turns in each round of combat, with higher rolls going first through to those who rolled lower. The DM will roll for the monster's initiative, and then will have some way of keeping track, whether just on a notepad or handing out numbered cards, etc. Initiative is rolled anew for each combat encounter, but plays no role in out-of-combat play. Next, the DM will establish where all the players and monsters are. Distance is important in combat for both melee and ranged attacks. During combat, you can do two main things during your turn. You can move and perform an action. You can move up to your character's speed, which will be on your character sheet, usually around 25 to 30 feet per turn. You can move all at once, or move, then do an action such as attacking, then move again. Be aware, though, that if you fail to kill a monster with your attack and then move away, this can provoke something called an attack of opportunity by the monster, where it basically gets to take a swipe at you as you try to move away. But splitting your movement can lead to more tactical battles when it is possible. Your action can be to attack, cast a spell, ready an action. Usually you describe an event that will trigger the action like if the goblin stands on the trapdoor, I'm going to pull the lever. You can help another character. Dash. This uses your action to double your movement speed for the round, but may mean you can't do anything else. 
you may be able to disengage, which involves moving away from an enemy without provoking an opportunity attack. You can dodge, search, hide, or use an object such as a magical or non-magical item. There are small actions that you can do during combat that don't use your action to perform, such as kicking a small pebble, drawing the weapon you're about to attack with, picking up a dropped weapon, or pulling a lever, for example. To attack, you have to pick a creature in range. To determine if you're in range of the creature, check the spell or weapon description. Melee usually requires you to be within 5 feet of the enemy, and ranged varies. Ask your DM for guidance. Then the DM will tell you if there are any special circumstances, for example if the creature is in cover or obscured in some way. Then you roll a d20 to see if you hit. Add any modifiers. Weapons and spell descriptions usually tell you if they have a bonus to hit, and then tell your DM. If you equal or exceed the number of the armor class of the creature, you hit and can roll damage dice as directed by the weapon or spell description. The DM probably won't tell you the actual armor class or AC of the enemies you encounter, just if you hit them or not. Some DMs prefer it if players don't try to work it out by going by the previous dice rolls, as that's classed as metagaming, using knowledge about the game that your character wouldn't have for an advantage. In practice though, as a player, it's kind of difficult not to notice if another player misses with a 14 and you hit with a 15 though. Combat ends when all the enemies are dead, when all the party is unconscious or dead, which is fairly rare, or under other conditions. If a single enemy is left, they may bargain for their lives. Enemies may be taken prisoner or debriefed for information, or the enemies may rout and flee the battle. There are lots of ways to play these days. The traditional way is to gather a group of people into a room with character sheets, dice, notepads and pencils. The absolute minimum you'll need to play are two people, one set of dice, the basic rules which are available online for free, check the show notes for the link, a notepad or paper and a pencil. That's it. A usual group will be about five to seven people, including the DM. There are lots of ways to find a group to play with. You could ask friends and family, check at your college or place of work to see if there's already a group you can join, check out local cafes, coffee shops, hobby or comic shops. You could Google the phrase Dungeons and Dragons games near me. You could check the Meetup app or other local list apps like Gumtree or Craigslist. Obviously, as always, take precautions when meeting people from online list groups. Have a fully charged phone with you, meet somewhere public, and if you can go with a friend, even better. But thanks to the wonders of the internet, you can also play online without ever leaving your home with tools like D&D Beyond, Fantasy Grounds, Roll20 and others. You could also just set up a Skype conference call, use Discord with the Sidekick app, and any number of other options. Don't I need to know a lot to play, like law or maths? No, to both things. Basic math skills are all that's required, usually adding modifier scores to dice rolls. Occasionally there might be some light multiplication or division, but nothing more than that. You can use the calculator on your phone, or even download an app to roll your dice for you. 
Some even allow you to plug in your stats so the app even calculates modifiers too. As to lore, you don't really need to know anything to begin with. If you have even a passing acquaintance with the fantasy genre, like say for example you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies, you've got enough understanding to start and you'll learn as much as you want as you go. As I said before, I'm no lore master either and I act as DM for my group. If your group has never played before, it might be an idea for the DM to run an adventure with pre-rolled characters so you can get a feel of how play goes without spending a couple of hours sorting characters out. The 5th edition starter set comes with some pre-rolled characters including a Helldwarf cleric, two human fighters, a high elf wizard, and a lightfoot halfling rogue. We'll go into what some of those entail later, but if you want to check out the character sheets online as a PDF, check the show notes for the link. The starter set is great for a first-time adventure. It contains a rulebook, character sheets, and a fully written campaign for the DM, called The Lost Mine of Fandelver, that includes encounters, maps, magic items, and monsters with stats, as well as a set of dice. It costs about $20 or pounds, often less, and is well worth a look. If you are feeling adventurous though, you can roll your own. Have a read through the player's handbook for all the info you'll need to create a character, but the basics are, choose a race and class, roll your ability scores, work out your skill proficiencies, pick your armour, weapons and gear, choose your background, and choose your personality traits. Choose a race. The most common ones are Dwarf Elf Human Halfling Gnome Tiefling Half-Elf Half-Orc and Dragonborn which are all in the player's handbook but other D&D books and modules include new ones like Tabaxi Cat People Kenku Bird People Warforged Sentient Androids and Robots and some DMs allow even more exotic races to be playable, such as goblins, minotaurs, and more. Check with your DM if unsure. Later in this series, I'll go over the races in more detail, so be sure to watch out for those episodes. Choose a class. In many ways, this is actually more important than your race, as your class describes the type of adventurer you're going to be. Are you a... Two-handed axe-wielding barbarian who fights up close and personal. Or a wizard who casts arcane spells. Or a rogue who darts from the shadows to sneakily stab a foe. Or a cleric who heals the party, but who can dish out damage with a mace. You can pair any race with any class, but certain combinations can have advantages due to racial bonuses. Dragonborn, with their plus two to strength, make for good melee warriors, such as fighters or barbarians, as do half-orcs, which gain the same advantage plus an additional point to constitution. Elves make for good mages, with a plus one to intelligence, but also good rangers, with proficiencies in long and short swords, as well as long and short bows. Halflings make good rogues, with a plus two to dexterity, and the lightfoot subrace even more so, who have a natural ability to hide. 
It's worth seeing what racial traits will pair well with your chosen class, but there's also nothing stopping you making a half-orc rogue, a dragonborn warlock, or a halfling barbarian, or any other combination you want to. Sometimes playing against the established tropes can add an interesting twist to your roleplay. Your class choice will also inform you what type of armour you can wear, what weapons you are proficient with, what spells, if any, you can cast, and a load of other information, such as how many hit points you have to start with, what skills you will be proficient in, and so on. I'll be devoting episodes of the show to going over the main classes, what they entail, their upsides and drawbacks, and more. So be sure to subscribe to not miss out. Choose your alignment. The list of character alignments is Lawful Good Neutral Good Chaotic Good Lawful Neutral True Neutral Chaotic Neutral Lawful Evil Neutral Evil Chaotic Evil If you search online for alignment chart, you'll find lots of examples from popular culture such as Harry Potter characters, Rick and Morty characters, and pretty much every other fandom you can think of. Sometimes these can be useful in visualising how to play your character with these alignments. 5th edition, remove the requirement for certain classes, such as paladins, barbarians, druids or monks, to have alignment restrictions. So in theory, you can now play a chaotic evil paladin particularly with the Oathbreaker subclass. Alignments can change both over time or as a mechanic. Taking the Oathbreaker subclass changes a paladin to an evil character, for example. Be aware that some DMs may place their own restrictions on alignments, though. I advised my players not to choose an evil alignment, as an evil character can wreak havoc in a party. That being said, I would consider running a campaign for a group who chose all evil alignments. Background. You can also choose a background for your character, as well as traits, bonds and flaws. These serve also to inform you of how to play your character, as a nobleborn character would generally behave differently to a character with the urchin background. Traits, bonds and flaws are also things that feed into your character's personality and can all be found in the player's handbook. Ability scores. Players in D&D have several abilities that have associated scores that determine how good you are at certain things. The list is Strength, Dexterity, Constitution, Intelligence, Wisdom and Charisma. These ability scores feed into various parts of the game. But for now, check the show notes for a description of each one. You determine your ability scores by rolling 4d6 dice and discarding the lowest score. So say you rolled a 5, a 3, a 2 and a 1. That would be a total of 10 after you'd discarded the 1. You roll the 4d6s 6 times in total, one for each of the abilities. Then you assign your scores to those abilities, guided by your class as described in the player's handbook. For example. Someone who picked a Barbarian would want to put their highest score into the Strength ability. Strength comes into play with melee weapons like swords, axes and hammers. Then they'd put their next highest score into Constitution, which determines how tough and hardy a character is, as well as being tied to how many hit points they get. Barbarians are often going to be at the front line, 
in the thick of battle, and so will require being able to take a hit or two. Contrast that with a wizard. A wizard will attack from range using spells, so strength is mostly useless to them. Their spellcasting relies on intelligence as their primary ability, so that should be where their highest score goes, followed by constitution or dexterity. You can find out what attributes are best for your class by consulting the basic rules, campaign rules or player's handbook, but a good tip is that constitution is useful for every class as it is tied to how many hit points you will both have initially and going forward, so make sure to put a decent roll into it. If in doubt, consult the player's handbook and or your DM. Once your ability scores have been assigned, you can then determine your modifier scores from them. There is a simple table to do this, which I'll link to in the show notes. And it's actually these modifier scores that you will use most in the game, usually adding them to your dice rolls when required. Let's use the barbarian example again. Our barbarian wants to climb up a cliff face. The DM will ask the player to roll an ability check, which I'll explain more about shortly. But for now, that means our player rolls a d20 and adds their strength modifier. Let's say they assigned a score of 18 to their strength ability. An 18 score gives you a plus 4 modifier. So if they roll a 10 on the dice, their total is 14 for that roll. The DM will tell our barbarian whether they succeed or not based on the difficulty class or DC that they have set. Based on how difficult they think the task is to achieve, taking into account things like, is the surface wet? Is it a sheer 90 degree climb or a gentler slope? And so on. The DM will not usually tell you the DC of a task, just describing instead what happens either way. The DM will begin by describing the scene. They might say something like, Your party has been trekking down the trail for a few days. The monotony of the road and the routine of marching, punctuated by spates of eating and resting, has become all too familiar. The wagon train pulls into a small gully, flanked on either side by slopes of rock and dirt, leading into thickets of shrubs and trees. You are beginning to think that this job of escorting a wagon train might turn out to be some of the easiest money you've made in a while, when the lead caravan draws to a stop. There are two dead horses lying across the road. They both have arrows sticking out of them with tatty black fletching that looks to be made from raven's feathers. What do you do? It's then up to the party to decide what they want to do, whether it's take cover, help the citizens, investigate the horses, or whatever else you can think of. Your party can act as one, or all try different tasks. Ability checks. Ability checks come into play whenever a player tries to do something that has a chance of failure. If a player wants to grab a coin from their purse and hand it to an NPC shopkeeper, the DM should take it as read that the player did that because it's a fairly easy task. If the player wants to vault over a high wall, pickpocket an NPC, pick a lock, or something else that has a chance of failure, then the DM will ask for an ability check. The types of checks correspond with the skills. Acrobatics, animal handling, arcana, athletics, deception, history, insight, intimidation, investigation, medicine, nature, perception, performance, persuasion, religion, sleight of hand, stealth, and survival. If you look at the skill list, you will see each skill corresponds with an attribute. 
Athletics is strength. Deception is charisma. History is intelligence, for example. That means you add whatever modifier for those attributes to your check rolls. Using our barbarian again, he tries to pull open a stuck door. The DM will ask for a strength check. The barbarian has an 18 for strength, which gives a plus 4 modifier, so we'll add 4 onto our roll. If we have athletics as a proficiency, we also add our proficiency bonus, which at first and second level is 2. The DM sets a difficulty for how difficult the task is, usually between 0 to 20, but he doesn't tell you. You roll, add modifiers plus your proficiency bonus if relevant. Our barbarian rolls a 14, and let's say he has athletics as a proficient skill. That gives a total of 20. 14 on the die, plus 4 strength modifier, plus 2 proficiency. Later on in the session, our barbarian tries a history check on a found artifact. Our particular barbarian was not a history major and does not have proficiency in this skill. He rolls a 7 but he has an intelligence score of 9, which gives a modifier of minus 1, giving a total score of 6. If I were DMing this particular scenario, I might say something like, you pick up the artifact, turning it over in your hands, weighing it and tracing the markings on its surface with your finger. It's old, you exclaim, and you are not wrong. Crits and failures. When rolling to hit, for an ability check, or for saving throws, there are a few special types of rolls. When rolling to attack, a 20 on the die, sometimes called a natural 20 or nat 20, denotes a critical hit. A more powerful blow, essentially. It means that you double whatever you roll on your damage dice, and usually the DM describes the crushing blow. The opposite of a crit is a natural 1, or crit fail. Generally, it means you fail spectacularly, often leading to hilarious descriptions from the DM of how exactly you fail. In my campaign, our halfling druid picked up a javelin that had been thrown by an orc and had stuck in the floor. Rolling a nat 1 on his attack roll, I described how he tugged to free the javelin from the hard-packed earth, then lost balance and stuck the javelin back into the floor in order to maintain balance. And that was the druid's turn over. The next round, he did exactly the same thing. Advantage and disadvantage. Some situations can mean you have an advantage or disadvantage, such as an opponent being temporarily blinded for advantage or being behind cover for disadvantage. In these cases, advantage means rolling the die twice or rolling two and then taking the higher of the two rolls. Disadvantage is the same, but you take the lower of the two rolls. So that about wraps it up for our first show. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Our next episode is going to be about how to be a dungeon master for the first time and will be crammed full of tips to help you run a good game and ensure your players have fun. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe now in your favourite podcast player. You can also sign up for email alerts over at icastpod.com, where you can also see show notes and links to the things I've discussed in each episode. If you'd like to support the show, there are several ways to do it. You can subscribe to the show as mentioned. You could leave us a review on iTunes, which really helps us reach more people. 
Lastly, you can tell friends, family, colleagues, classmates or other D&D fans about the show. Opening music was by me. Additional sound effects were from Sirenscape, because epic games need epic sounds. Check the show notes for the link. Further additional sounds were from freesound.org. Until next time, friends. May Timora bless your endeavours.